I want you to uh, imagine yourself about 2,700 years ago in the land of Judah, long, long before the first Christmas. Uh, there's no stable, no manger, no angels, no wise men, no gold, frankincense, or myrrh. Uh, instead, you're surrounded by enemies. Uh, the Assyrian Empire, which is a huge empire uh, to the east, uh, is threatening invasion, and you're anxious about what is going to happen next. And uh, as you're walking in the streets of Jerusalem, lost in your own uh, worried thoughts, you hear the sound of a man uh, lifting his voice in the streets and he says that there's a ruler a king who is coming who is going to bring peace who's going to bring hope well that is essentially what the book of Micah is all about uh, Micah is that prophet Micah is that voice who spoke to the people of Judah when they were in a very dangerous and difficult and fearful situation. He told them that one day there is a king, there is a ruler coming who would rescue them from the Assyrian, the empire which was coming to oppress them. And he told them this king would be coming. And he tells, him, tells them several things about this king. And we see them uh, all in these few short verses uh, in chapter 5. What I'd like to do this evening is look at what Micah told the people of Judah about this king who would come and what we can learn from it today. And the first thing we see is that Micah told the people that the king... The promised king would come from Bethlehem. Did you notice that in verse 2? Micah says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Micah says this ruler is going to come from the little town of Bethlehem. And he emphasizes how small Bethlehem is. But did you notice it calls Bethlehem, he calls Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrathah. Uh, that's kind of the equivalent of us saying uh, Billinghay, Lincolnshire, or Boston, Lincolnshire. Um, there are several Bostons in the world several more significant Bostons in the world than the Boston near us. But Michael is making very clear that this is a very specific town he is speaking of. Not any other Bethlehem, but Bethlehem Ephrathah in the lands of Galilee. In other words, this isn't a symbolic town. There are some symbolic things in the prophetic books of the Bible, but this isn't one of them. Micah is talking about a real, physical, specific town.
town, the town of Bethlehem in the land of Ephrathah. And it's also important to understand that Bethlehem wasn't as famous back then as it is now. Uh, Now everyone knows the name Bethlehem. Uh, Everyone sings about it every year, at least in our society. But back in the days of Micah, Bethlehem was a relatively insignificant town. True, David had been born there, but David was the king in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the significant place. That was the place where the kings went. That's where the palaces were, not Bethlehem, not where David was a shepherd. Even Micah says, you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah. Uh, Bethlehem, although you're insignificant in the scheme of things in the land of Judah, you're you're quite a small, insignificant place. It is, in that sense, like Billinghay. Uh, Not many people outside of Billinghay know it exists. It's not famous on the world stage. So it was with Bethlehem. Yet Micah says, out of you, Bethlehem, will become or come a king who will be ruler over my people Israel. So that's the first thing Micah tells the people. The ruler will come from little, insignificant Bethlehem in Galilee. But he goes on. He continues in this same verse. Uh, He says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Now, the second thing Micah makes clear is this isn't going to be any old ruler. It's not just going to be uh, any old chief or strong man which uh, rises up. This is going to be a ruler whose goings forth are from of old, even from everlasting. Uh, I'd encourage you to do this, um, to look in your Bibles, perhaps with a concordance or with the help of the internet, and do a little study on the phrase, uh, going out and coming in. Uh, It's a phrase which is often used, particularly in the Old Testament, uh, to describe rulers. It says they came in and went out, or they went out and came in. I'll just give one example. In Numbers, the book of Numbers, Chapter 17, verses 16 to 17, uh, Moses prays that Israel will have a leader. Uh, He prays for God to send Israel a wise leader. And this is what he says. He says, let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them and which may go in before them and which may lead them out and which may bring them in that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And that really touches on what this phrase, going out and coming in, really means. It's used of a shepherd uh, who takes his sheep out of the fold to find pasture, but then at the end of the day brings them safely back home. And it describes a king who looks after his people He takes them out, he nourishes them, he feeds them, he protects them, and he brings them all safely back. It's also used of a king who takes his armies out. 
They leave, they go out to battle, but they return victorious. They return successful, having won the battle. That's what it means to lead people in and out. It speaks of activity, of energy, of skill. That is what is meant in that phrase. But did you notice what we're told about this king? What Micah tells us about this coming king? He says, his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. In other words, he's not going to be some green, uh, inexperienced novice who needs to prove himself, who doesn't really know what he's doing. No, instead, this is going to be a king who knows exactly what he's doing, who is competent, who is skilled, who is able to take his armies out, but also bring them back, who's able to take his sheep out, but also bring them safely back in. Uh, Notice it says, from everlasting. Uh, No king in history previous to this would have been able to claim that. Um, Wherever king you are, whether it was King David or King Hezekiah or King Josiah or whichever the great kings you want to pick, none of them could say their goings forth were from everlasting. Uh, They were all uh, had to grow. They all had to learn. They all had to learn by their many mistakes how to lead in and take out. But not this king. This king will come from of old. It may also refer to the fact that this king has been prophesied for many years in the past. Uh, His coming has been foretold from ancient days. This isn't going to be an usual king. This isn't an ordinary ruler. This is an extraordinary ruler. Look again at verse 4. It says, And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Israel had many kings. Judah had many kings, and some were better than others. I've mentioned already some of the better ones. Uh, King Hezekiah, uh, King David, uh, King Josiah. They were good kings. They did uh, many wise and great things, but they all had one thing in common uh, besides that. They also had massive failures. Uh, I'd encourage you to read through uh, the books of First Kings, Second Kings, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, and it's a catalogue of the failure of man. Yes, there are high points, times when the kings do the right thing, but every time you see they stumble before the end. You see Josiah, and he's probably the um, the best or the worst example, depending on which way you look at it. Uh, he has a wonderful. Uh, rule where he listens to God and he wants to obey him and he leads the people to obey God and then right towards the end of his reign he stumbles he refuses to listen to what God says and he's uh, killed in battle with the king of Egypt with Pharaoh Uh, he seems so good but he stumbled before the end 
And that's the story of all humanity. But not this king. This king will be a king in the name of the Lord, and he shall be great to the ends of the earth. This king will not fail like all the kings before him. But that's not all Micah has to say. Uh, we've seen that he would be born in, this king would be born in Bethlehem, uh, Bethlehem Ephrathah. We learn that he's going to be an extraordinary ruler, like no ruler that has come before. But Micah also makes clear this king is not coming just yet. Uh, look at verse 3. Micah says, Therefore, he shall give them, that's God's people, he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return to the children of Israel. Uh, God describes his people here as like a woman giving birth. And that's an image which is often used of God's people in the Bible. Uh, how uh, a woman has a relatively long period of gestation, of, of pregnancy. And then the birth itself can be long and arduous and drawn out. And God says that's what his people will be like. They will have to go through many pains, many sufferings, much toil and tribulation before finally this king is born, before finally this king comes. Uh, Israel and Judah will have to go through the pains of childbirth for many hundreds, even thousands of years before finally the promised king arrives. Uh, this sort of language we find right in the beginning of the Bible, uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, in chapter 3, where uh, God says to Eve that her seed would crush the serpent's head. And throughout the Old Testament, this theme of women giving birth to save your sons comes up again and again and again. And each time you sort of have the hope, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is the one who's going to rescue Israel. Maybe this is the one who's going to be the saviour of the world. And they all fail, whether that be Moses or whether that be David or whether it be Samuel or take your pick of characters in the Bible. But Micah says this king is coming. Uh, though there will be suffering through the night, there will be joy in the morning when this sun rises. That's the third thing Micah tells the people about this king who will come. But there's a fourth thing. He doesn't stop there even. Uh, he says that this king will stand and feed his flock, verse 4, in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. They shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. But then in verse 5 he says, and this one shall be peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and when he treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. They shall waste with the sword, the land of Syria and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Remember, at this time, Judah was under threat. Uh, the people were afraid. 
they were fearful of what the Assyrian Empire would do. And it's not too difficult for us to imagine this kind of fear, is it? Uh, when we hear of the threat of nuclear war and we hear of wars happening around this world at this time, uh, this fear and this anxiety might not be too far away from our own hearts. And that's what the people of Judah were feeling at this point in time. But Micah says, this king will come and he will raise up seven shepherds and eight princely men. Uh, Those are symbolic words to to say that this Messiah will be strong. Uh, Seven is the number of fullness, the number of completion. There will be seven shepherds to look after the flock There will be eight princely men. There will be over and above the perfect number of men who would be able to lead and to more than deal with the threat of the Assyrians. And what Micah is saying is this king will be more than capable to bring peace. But it's funny, uh, when we think of someone bringing peace, uh, we often tend to think of someone who is quiet, uh, someone who is peaceful, uh, someone who wouldn't hurt a fly. That's what we think of when we think of someone who brings peace. But that isn't actually how you bring peace. Uh, That's not how peace is brought about even in the Bible. Uh, A king brings peace by being strong. A king brings peace by putting down all rebellion and all resistance to him. By bringing security and stability. Uh, There's peace when you are in a strong castle, not when you're in a weak one. And Micah's saying this Messiah will be a strong castle, more than capable to put down his enemies, the ones who threaten peace, the ones who bring unrest. This king will bring the peace that they all long for. Now, that's all they knew in Micah's time. Uh, That's all they heard 2,700 years ago, that this king would be born in Bethlehem, that he would be an extraordinary ruler, that he would succeed where other kings had failed and he would bring peace to Israel. But 2,700 years later, we know a lot more, don't we? Uh, We have the privilege of seeing many of these things that Micah speaks of being fulfilled because this king has come And we know that his name is Jesus. Uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And not any old Bethlehem, but Bethlehem Ephrathah, uh, in the land of Judea. I've just remembered I said in Galilee. That was a mistake. Not Galilee. In Judea. Uh, Jesus was born in the very place that Micah said the Messiah would be born. Not only that... Jesus himself proclaimed that before Abraham was, I am. Not good grammar, but very good theology. What Jesus is saying is that I existed 
before Abraham, and I will always exist. I didn't have a beginning point, and I will not have an ending point. I am. As it says in the book of Hebrews, I am the same yesterday, or Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yes, he was born in Bethlehem, but Jesus didn't start in Bethlehem. He became a baby in the manger. And so we see how his goings forth, verse 2 of chapter 5, his goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Jesus has always been and he always will be. Not only that, we are told in the book of Philippians that he's been given the name above every name. And what did verse 4 said? Paul say? Uh, it says, he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. I challenge you to think of a more famous person than Jesus Christ. I suspect he is the most well-known uh, person in the world, at least in the Western world. Uh, and as Philippians says, he has been given that name above every name. But you might wonder, but where is the peace? Micah said he'd be born in Bethlehem. Check. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Micah said that he would be an extraordinary ruler whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. Check, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, Micah said that he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Check, God, Jesus has been given the name above every name. His name has almost spread throughout the whole globe and will get there one day. But what about verse 5? This one shall be peace. Uh, there's not much peace in the world, is there? We see war everywhere as an exaggeration, but we see it in many places, don't we? As I said, in Ukraine, Myanmar, Middle East, many other less known places uh, are afflicted and torn by war at this moment. So what did Micah mean when he said, this king shall be peace? Does that mean he was wrong? Does that mean Jesus isn't the king they were looking for and we were looking for? Well, before we say anything uh, as rash as that, we need to listen to Jesus' own words. Now listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 35 to 37. Uh, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth, I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Christ made clear that his coming, his first coming, would not bring earthly peace. If anything, it would bring earthly conflict. 
Jesus is like the watershed which divides whole families. Those who accept him and those who reject him. That's the big dividing line between all humans in this world. What do you think of Jesus? Christ's first coming did not bring peace on earth. But his first coming did make peace in heaven. When Jesus came the first time, he didn't come as a conquering king. He came as a suffering servant. Uh, Not as a ruler on a throne, but as a baby in a manger. Uh, Not until Christ comes again, as that conquering king, will we see peace on earth. But until then, we can enjoy peace with heaven. When Jesus came the first time, he came to restore our relationship with God. And so all of us, whoever we are in this war-torn world, we can make peace with God. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment we deserve. He made the way open to God. That's why the veil was torn in two from top to bottom when Jesus died. The way was made open so that all our sin can be forgiven if we come to him. But that did not bring peace on earth. Uh, We see the world still afflicted with many pains and difficulties and devastation. But the Bible makes clear, one day, God will wrap up this world. One day, Christ will return. And that time, He won't come as a baby in a manger, but he'll come as a king with a sword. And he will be the king of Micah chapter 5, verse 5 and verse 6. He shall waste with the sword the land of Assyria and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Christ will remove all opposition to him. Right now, however is a day of grace. Right now, God offers an olive branch, if you like, to anyone and everyone who wants to come to him. I trust that many of us here this evening have already accepted that offer and we are enjoying peace with God, even though we may be enduring a lack of peace on earth. But we can take heart We can take heart from this prophecy of Micah that the day is coming when Jesus will make all things new. Right now, we're surrounded by uncertainties. We don't know what disaster might befall us tomorrow or next week or next year. We simply do not know what is in store for us on earth. But we do know God has it all in his hands. And one day, as the book of Revelation puts it, Christ will make all things new. Uh, It reminds me uh, of a story. I think I've shared it before, uh, but I'll share it again. Uh, Apparently, in autumn uh, 1864, during the American uh, Civil War, uh, Confederate soldiers were attacking a fort in uh, the Alatoona Pass, wherever that is. 
and the fort had been stockpiled by General Sherman uh, with ammunition and supplies while he was away in a mountain uh, across the valley, uh, working out details and getting permission for his next campaign. And the fort was left defended by a small force uh, led by a man called General Corse. Uh, and this uh, fort was attacked uh, by the enemy, and there was a fierce and deadly conflict, and General Corse became in urgent need of reinforcements, but his telegraph communications had been destroyed, so he had to resort to sending uh, visual signals, I don't know whether that was smoke or flags, but he had to signal across the valley to General Sherman uh, in the mountain where he was, desperately asking for reinforcements. And eventually he got the visual signal back from General Sherman. And it was a short response, but the signal said, hold the fort, I am coming. Hold the fort, I am coming. And in many ways, that's what Christ says to his church. Uh, when we await his second coming. Uh, right now, there's difficulty. Right now, there's suffering in various forms. There's temptation to deal with. We battle our own sinful natures. Uh, we battle people who fight against us. We don't battle with swords and with guns, but we fight a spiritual battle. But Jesus says, hold the fort, for I am coming. Just like the people of Micah's day, the king wasn't coming just yet. And we too don't know exactly when our king is coming. But we can be sure he came the first time, so he will come again. And that, in a nutshell, is the message of the book of Micah. And with those thoughts in mind, uh, I've chosen as our last hymn... Uh, a hymn which is really a carol. I hope it's not too early to have a carol, but I trust you'll see uh, how applicable it is. Uh, it's a hymn, a prayer, uh, asking for Christ to come and to come soon. It's 464. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. So we'll close by singing number 400 and 64.